Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast from the communications team at the Quadrum Institute. I'm Becky Thompson. Today we're going to briefly discuss the role of art in both dissemination of scientific research findings and as a way of engaging the public or starting a dialogue with people who may be affected by or are interested in our research. As scientists funded predominantly by the UK government, we strongly feel that our research should lead to tangible benefits to society and that we have a duty not to stay hidden away in the laboratories, but to openly talk about our research and to seek the input of those we hope will benefit from interventions and new understanding or information that we are developing. Over the last couple of years, we've been testing a few new ideas just to see what works and what doesn't. We aren't afraid to learn and it has taught us a lot. I'm going to be joined in this discussion today by three of my colleagues who each have a particular expertise in using visual forms of knowledge exchange, including working with contracted professional artists, designers, and using hands-on art-based activities to engage with school children, teenagers, or adults. Our first guest is Dr. Steve James. Hello. Steve is a molecular microbiologist at the Quadrum Institute. He's investigating the role of fungal gut microbes, such as yeast, in human health. Steve, have you used art within your knowledge exchange activities? Yes, indeed. So as you know, I mean, yeast are very, very small. So um, working with the microscopic, it's, it's a case of how can we make those organisms more accessible and more interesting to people. So I've been very lucky to work with two colleagues, Catherine Cross and Carmen Nueno Pallop. And what we've done is put together some scanning electron micrographs, SEMs of yeast cells. So these are images of yeast cells at very high magnification. So you can see in great detail what they truly look like. And what we've done with, once we've got the images is then Carmen has false colored them. So you get a, a sense of depth. So you've got an, a, a nice image, but you've got a sort of a, a 3D effect. And of course, if you use bright colours, then it, it really can draw the eye in because it's quite eye-catching. And, and as I say, it's very, very informative. And who was your audience for these images? So the audience initially was the general public. So we did some outreach, firstly at a, a national fungal day. And what we did was we put, we used some of these false coloured images uh, and put them on a poster, which we, we called Yeast Up Close and Personal. There were six images and we had a little bit of information about each, each different yeast. So these were different species of yeast, including um, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is, as most people know, is the brewing yeast. And it was aimed at the, the general public, although at the, on, on the day there was a lot of children that attended. So it was good that they could actually see what we were what we were working with, you know, this accessibility to these microscopic organisms, some of which they are familiar with, many that they're not. Uh, and it gave us an opportunity to really show them the diversity that there is there, you know, um, so, so from yeast that um, are used by us for, for brewing and baking, but also yeast that uh, are more um, pathogenic. Um, so we, we, we combined the sort of the good with the bad. Um, and it proved very, very popular. And uh, I must admit, the, the false colour, uh, which gave these images real depth, and, and we, we were also, we used very bold colours so that these images jumped out at you as well. So it really drew 
the public and particularly the children uh, to, to our, our stand and, and to the images that we got on show. And from that, we put together some, some images on canvases, which we've, we put up in the Institute. And firstly, for, you know, uh, the attraction for any public that were visiting, but also for research colleagues. Uh, and again, that, you know, it generated a lot of interest. And uh, I certainly had one collaboration following one of our images um, where the lady concerned who, from the University of Manchester said, you know, we'd love an image like that. So we did actually try and put one together for us. So very, very, very useful. I remember seeing those and just thinking how amazing they were. It certainly uh, took my attention. Did you find that using these techniques actually helped to get your message across? Very much so, um, because certainly working with yeast, I mean, they, they're so microscopic. I mean, they're, they're sort of around about a hundredth of a millimetre. So, you know, you cannot v visually see them. You can grow them on um, um, plates, agar plates. But the problem, certainly with the yeast that I've worked with, both past and present, most of them are cream colored or beige colour, so very limited you know you don't get much by just growing them up so to be able to see them up close made such a difference so for me uh, and, and for Catherine and, and Carmen it, it proved very very effective you know to be able to to present your work to firstly the public but also to, to research colleagues that had no real idea of what you did and and with what start talking to them about this if you can engage and connect, you're onto a winner. That's, that's definitely true. Steve, what are your thoughts about linking art and research in general? I think it's highly valuable. I mean, certainly from my experience, it's very, very powerful. And I say it's, it's a great way to introduce your research to a wider audience. As I say, especially when you're working with the microscopic, it provides accessibility to what you do. So you get away from some of the mythos you know you're not just somebody in a white coat you can you know people can see and hopefully appreciate and certainly I've found this you know, they appreciate the beauty at the, the microscopic scale. Do you have any plans going forward? Yes certainly do so up until now it's been very much from an industrial sort of brewing and baking but going forward because as you've already said I'm lucky enough to work in a, an area of research looking at fungi in the in the gut so the, the hope is that we can isolate, grow up some of the, 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 the fungi and specifically the yeast from human sources. And as I say, hopefully put, put together some images along what we've already done. That's great. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you too. I would also like to introduce Miss Jenny Pedley. Hello. Jenny was the Quadrum Institute Artist in Residence during 2019. With funding from the Arts Council England and Norfolk County Council, she set up a series of events. For Norfolk Creativity and Wellbeing Week, she ran creative sessions with the staff to initiate dialogues concerning our research. She was also part of a wonderful collaboration with the charity Science, Art and Writing and Dr Lindsay Hall's research group, where they went into schools and libraries to run educational sessions with primary school age children. Jenny, what did you do as part of these activities? I ran the art section of the science, art and writing workshops. The writing element was provided by a wonderful poet called Richard Lambert. I tried out lots of different activities with the students to see how they responded. Uh, so we used shadow theatre where the uh, students dressed up in lab coats provided by the Quadrum Institute. And we used some scientific equipment like Petri dishes and pipettes 
to engage the students with stories about the bacteria and um, other microbes that inhabit your intestines. And also because it was a school that provides um, education for deaf and hearing students, we were trying out um, British Sign Language behind the screen. So we were trying out some of the signs for science and microbes. It was fantastic to be able to incorporate the British Sign Language into the creative work. And over two days, we were able to combine the science with these um, visual activities to explore the stories. As I understand it, the art sessions were the most popular. Is that true? I think, uh, of course, it would be. <laughs> art stuff's always the best. <laughs> no, it was, um, I think the fact that I had so many different things for them to try. So if one, that one group got bored, I found something else for them to do. I'd had some games about the environment, like visual tile games I'd created before. So I was able to get those out when one group had finished one activity. I'd brought in vegetables for them to draw and we were cutting those out and creating installations on the windows of the, the lining of the gut, like a mini world with all these plants growing out of it. And then we were using my mini shadow theatre kits to create animations. And those were particularly good because we could record them and they were able to tell their own stories about what they'd learnt. Um, one of the students at the end said um, to her teacher, can Jenny keep coming back until she runs out of ideas? <laughs> Which I thought was very sweet. <laughs> That's brilliant. Did you find that the children remembered the key facts from your sessions? Well, it was fantastic to work with the Quadrum because they were also recording what they'd learnt through an impact survey. So we could see what they'd taken in and what they enjoyed the best and how we could improve our work in the future. So um, they were able to communicate about the diversity of the gut microbiota and the fact that some of them are good for us and some not so good. And they were, they were actually, they were very excited about the bad bacteria. A lot of their animations were about the bad bacteria and what they were going to do to you. Jenny, do you have any advice to people listening who might be planning this sort of activity? It was important we simplified our language and not assume that people had a certain amount of vocabulary. So you've got to get to know your audience and listen to them. The other thing is about using lots of different materials, I think, because people learn in different ways and they engage with things in different ways. And also, I mean, some of my work is about um, learning and some of it is just for its own sake I think enjoying the materials enjoying the art we were using um, Chinese paper lanterns that concertina and can be moved in different ways and those were really excellent to explore how the gut moves and then we tried using some packaging that was going to end up as landfill but looks a bit like bacteria so they were filling their little paper guts with packaging to populate their gut with microbes and then we were using some cocktail sticks to attack the bacteria like bacteriophages so there was a bit of drama and lots of different materials and play which I think was good. Sounds fun. Jenny also created an interactive art exhibition called Art of the Gut for the 2019 Norwich Science Festival. Jenny, can you talk us through uh, what was involved in that exhibition? 
Yes, I built on the activities that I'd done with the scientists earlier in the year. And so I brought in some artists to work at both events with me, which was fantastic because it meant that we could use materials that I wasn't necessarily familiar with. So um, the sculptor Chris Jackson made a series of textured panels for an activity that we called Hopes for Health, where the public was able to select from seven images which related to the research at the Quadrum Institute. So one of them was a smiley face to represent mood and it's linked to the gut microbiome. And some of them were pictures of different organs of the body. There were QR codes on the walls so they could easily link to the science to see what the background was. So they were able to sit around little tables in a nice quiet space at the festival and make rubbings of these and then they could um, cut them out and hang them on a kind of a giant microbe which was um, installed at the festival and they had wire hairs coming out of it so they were literally hanging their hopes for health on the microbes and they could choose which image they wanted if they had a particular concern or an interest about say the brain for research into dementia or such or the little children just chose whichever ones they like the look of. So and inside, the, the microbe was represented by a kind of a freestanding alcove, or like half a capsule shape. And the inside of it was filled with, with lots of different, what they call vegetable papyrus, which are very thin slices of dried vegetables that are actually really beautiful. And the kids really love them. And they were there to represent what we need to feed our microbiome with. And then on the outside, the drawings went on to show the influence of the microbes on our health and it made a, an installation that was always changing and, and by the end of each day it was absolutely covered in people's drawings. It was quite impressive to see it life-size at the event. Jenny is it true that the exhibit was so popular that you kept running out of paper? Yes the science festival is on for nine days and 137,000 people visited it that year I don't know if they all made drawings, but it felt a bit like it. The, the festival kept phoning us up saying we've run out of paper. And so we had to set up a system so that it could be quickly replenished so that hundreds of people could carry on making their drawings and hanging them on the installation every day. And the, the other activity that was very successful, both with the scientists and with the public, uh, I developed with an artist called Rach Anesti Saunders, and she works with textiles. So she was using wool and tea strainers in bowls of water to help the public make their own felt microbe, which they could take away with them. And the queues were quite long for that activity, but that gave the scientists a chance to, um, to discuss all the concepts with the public while they were waiting and think about what sort of microbe they might want to make when they got to the activity. I remember helping with that activity and it was near the end of the day and the children were still so engaged and they were really interested in the scientists talking to them about the microbes as they made them. Um, they were using a chart we had on the wall and they were picking out whether they wanted to make a good bacteria or a bad bacteria and it, it was really fun. Yeah, the chart was really great, wasn't it? Because it had it had flagella on and the different shapes so they could really develop very particular types of microbes in response to it. They could add on little bits of wool and things. Yeah, it's always easier if the children have something to copy as an inspiration and that worked really well. 
So the reach of the exhibit was excellent, with thousands of people visiting, but did it have an effect on the participants that could be linked to a change? I think the, uh, the felt microbes were an excellent reminder for them. Many people use safety pins to turn them into brooches and badges and use them as a pledge for veg to remind them that they need to eat a wide variety of vegetables, fruits and nuts to feed fibre to their microbes. If, they, if the brooch is something that they see often, then it acts quite well as a prompt to behaviour change. And from on-the-spot interviews and feedback surveys, we noted that the activities did succeed in helping the public think about these stories about diet and the gut microbiome and illnesses linked to the gastrointestinal tract. I noted while I was at the festival that when the children were occupied in one of the art and craft activities, the parents were far more open to talking about our research and their understanding of the related issues. And different groups gave different feedback. And there were, we had some nice feedback from some teenagers who are often hard to reach, who found the activity very calming. And the younger children were stating that it was fun. And the adults enjoyed it as well, I think. And people were using the QR codes to link to the research and reading information on the wall displays. And they said they were going to follow up looking at the Quadrum's web pages for more information in the future. And one person I talked to said that he'd gone away with a message that he was going to eat more purple vegetables. <laughs> That's great. Jenny, how do you think art and research interact? So this is a question I've been thinking about for a lot of my career, actually. Uh, and in some ways, I think that art and science are approaching the same questions just from different angles about the nature of reality and, uh, and how to live our lives. There are artists now whose, whose practice is almost entirely made up of, of a form of research where they're exploring ideas about the world just in a different way from scientists. So I think we're all kind of trying to do similar things just with slightly different languages. And to bring them together, I think is really, really important. I think the division between the arts and the science has only happened in the last few hundred years, and there needs to be a bridge to bring them back together. So working at the Quadrum Institute was very exciting. It was really nice to be working on an NHS site, because you have staff there. And it's a really unique centre at the Quadrum Institute, where you've got research scientists alongside NHS workers who are dealing with patients and it was fantastic to be able to have a session where I could offer them activities to reflect on their own work and their own research. There are all sorts of, of different skills there and approaches to work. It was nice to have time to work with staff and to allow them a little time to reflect and tackle their work questions in a completely different way. People really need to have a bit of an understanding of science to understand the urgent issues, but they also need creative ways of tackling problems so that they're not overwhelmed and that they can make sense of things. And now since the pandemic, I mean, the link with science and health has just become really obvious to everybody. And with the, the kind of the fake news issues that are going on and the people who are worried about the vaccine, I think it's so important to find creative languages 
that people are interested in and comfortable with to engage in debates and explore these issues and tackle some of the health inequalities that exist now. I think it also speaks well of um, transparency from the researchers and building up trust with the, the stakeholders who could potentially benefit from that research in the long run, don't you think? Yes, I think that there's such a wealth of information at the Quadrum Institute that could completely transform people's lives in terms of health. And, you know, it needs to be out there in society. And and actually, that's the project that I'm working on now to try and bring a really big project about the future of food to Norfolk. And now that we're not only dealing with climate change, but now with the pandemic, it is more important than ever to support people's mental health and to use a really wide variety of methods to offer the public ways into an involvement with science. I think that using art to convey messages about our research findings actually reaches a group of people who wouldn't necessarily be as engaged by press releases or scientific papers. Yeah, I think, you know, people are drawn to different things and you need a certain vocabulary to tackle a lot of science stories. And in some ways, you know, and some I have this sort of ambiguous relationship to to art and science and sort of scientific communication in a way because the the art has to stand up on its own for me as well. It's got it has to be um, a piece of work that is that the material the language of the materials you're using and the visual language is successful on its own, but will draw people to it to ask questions that they may not have asked otherwise. And then that opens discussions which might not have been had otherwise. And there's an awful lot of those to be had at the moment in the crisis that we now find ourselves in. Thank you so much, Jenny. Our final guest is Marina Corrado. Hello. Hi. Marina is a research scientist at the Institute. She developed a full-scale model of the gastrointestinal tract during her recently submitted PhD project. And she used it as both a demonstration and discussion enabling tool. Marina, where did you get the idea from and what were your intentions? I wanted to get people thinking about what happens to food when we ingest them. Food labels can be daunting to interpret. So I wanted to get the public attention to focus on the complexity of foods and of our digestive system. I remember that when I first studied physiology at university, I thought that our um, digestive system was a fascinating maze. So I wanted to replicate that to show how different foods complete a certain journey depending on what we choose to eat. And I had a rough idea of what the model would look like, but I needed to uh, realize the idea. So I went to our comms team and I said, I want to build a game about digesting foods. They were extremely supportive, but we still needed someone to carve the model. So we reached out to a very talented artist in Norwich, Richard Matthews. And after a few brainstorming sessions, Hungry Bob came to life. Did it work? I think so. I think children really enjoyed playing with it. Some took it as a challenge and they tried to digest foods as fast as possible. And others really focused on trying to get the right nutrients to the right place in the digestive system. 
And I was amazed to hear that a lot of children chose to digest fruit as their favorite food rather than um, sweets, for example. But we had a lot of cookies and cakes. Marina, do you think that you'll use art and hands-on activities in public engagement and dialogue events in the future? And do you have any advice to others considering how to do this? Yes, I would certainly do that. Creating arts and hands-on activities was a great experience. I would recommend it to anyone. I'm very lucky because I have a very supporting team that can help me get a rough idea into a concrete activity like Hungry Bob. But I don't think that should stop anyone from trying because Hungry Bob could have been made on paper or handcrafted from Play-Doh and it would have been as good probably. I really liked your project. The fact that it was translatable and other people were able to use it to discuss their research, that was really beautiful. Mm. I think engaging with the public can be very rewarding. I find it quite refreshing to get out of the lab and discuss my research with others. And there is always something new to learn. Thank you very much, Marina. I'd just like to thank all three guests for joining us today and for sharing their experience of art and science. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and I hope that a few of you might be inspired to try art within your outreach activities next time. Thank you and bye-bye.